Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today <laughs> we have a uh, a buffet. Unfortunately, a buff- well, it's not. It's fortunate for anyone who is a true crime lover. It's just unfortunate for their victims, of course. But these past months have been a true crime lover's dream. We have had so many crimes, so many trials. Um, it's it's you know t- two at the same going on at the same time. Um, and uh, since I am a forensic psychiatrist and an expert witness and a jury consultant, needless to say, um, I have been very busy analyzing these these uh, cases uh, on all different kinds of media. And now I'm going to do it on my own show <laughs> where I can talk, um, you know, about all of them together. Um, I'll start with breaking news, which is, I'm wondering if you heard this yet. If not, uh, the breaking news today is that Brian Laundrie, his autopsy allegedly reveals that he died by suicide. And the way that he died, according to this autopsy report, is a single gunshot wound to the head. Meaning that um, he he killed himself. He shot himself in the head. Now, of course, that's possible. I mean, you know, we speculated. I speculated. Um, I thought he would. He was. Uh, it was potentially. He was potentially capable of of committing suicide when he felt that people were closing in on him. But um, it hasn't come out yet uh, exactly when they think that happened or if they can even tell. But, um, but so this is the story. He, he, you know, I mean, it has been such a strange and, of course, heartbreaking story from the beginning. Um, that he is, there's no question that he killed Gabby Petito, <laughs> suicide or no suicide, uh, body or no body or remnants of a body. Um, and of course that is really tragic, but you know, this whole, we are supposed to just believe that, um, that he committed suicide and that's the end of the story and we should move on to other news. And certainly there's lots of other news and lots of other true crime news to move on to. That is undoubtedly what his attorney, his parents, his sister are hoping for. But I call me cynical (laughs) But um, I don't think that we should just jump on, run on, get over it that quickly because it seems really uh, questionable that that is the whole story of their of the parents telling the the you know the police, the FBI that oh all of a sudden the parents knowing where they can find him right and leaving them there and um, after they had been searching for him. Um, for weeks, 
and 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 no no uh, emotion expressed on the part of the parents. Well, if you saw the videos of them going with the police or the FBI to look for him this final time, and lo and behold, there was his body <laughs> uh, in a very, of course, um, decompensated, decom kind of state. Uh, and the, the story for that was because it must have been underwater, and that's why they didn't find it sooner, and so on and so forth. Well. You know, the, the way they had originally identified him was through his teeth, but the dentist who identified his teeth was no other than his uncle. Now, do you think that his uncle wouldn't go along with his parents and his sister to try to make sure that he escapes? It is a very sociopathic, very dysfunctional family in the first place. And you know that the parents lied to the authorities and on and on. I don't know why they haven't been charged with anything uh, like aiding and abetting or or um, obstruction or something. Um, but in any case, certainly we know that they have lied. That is not a question. And so now we are just supposed to accept the fact that they suddenly were able to lead everyone to his body and that this is indeed his body. Well, I'm not buying it. Um, you know, I'm buying it as much. I believe his, that the, this is his body and this was suicide as much as I believe the other lie, that Jeffrey Epstein's suicide was a suicide <laughs> or so-called suicide was a suicide. That is still very much up in the air in my mind. But in any case, um, you know, this would be a perfect, perfect crime. Uh, to this whole thing orchestrated where they identify a body that isn't his and he is off somewhere, perhaps in Mexico, perhaps <laughs> at the opposite end of the world. And I just hope that uh, Gary Petito's family and their lawyers are not going to just uh, let it go at this and are going to have their own um, uh, medical examiners and, and um uh, anthropologists and any all kinds of experts examine what was left of his body. So that's Brian Laundry. I'm not going to go through his um, the earlier part of this case because I am sure you all have heard that on and on for months. Okay, let's see who else we can talk about. That is the the next current thing is um, the Ahmad Aubrey trial is in the jury is um, in deliberation right now. They are going through the, um, the charges and deciding whether the three defendants are guilty or not. Now, and there are lots of things to decide amongst um, lots of different charges. I, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, but in the meantime... The it's very unfortunate for the defendants, and I'm going to tell you about um, about the defendants. Um, it's very unfortunate that they the lawyer, particularly of um, Gregory McMichael, uh, his lawyer was named Laura Hogue, and in her closing argument, she. Um, went on about, you know, which was trying to, we did a really bad thing. And I don't, I don't know if, if um, he would, if she would be able, if the defendants would be able to claim an appeal 
because of ineffective representation by counsel. But if they are allowed to do that, she certainly would qualify. You know, in other words, if they were found guilty and um, you can appeal in certain cases, in certain circumstances, you can appeal based on ineffective representation by counsel. In other words, if your lawyer is sucked <laughs> for some reason. Not just, I mean, there has to be some specific um, uh, malfeasance that they did. Uh, but um, this, would, I would think, would qualify. Because what Laura Hogue did in her, clo- in her, get this, in her closing remarks, it just went to the jury today, and in her closing remarks, um, she was trying to portray Amode Aubrey as a um, as someone that the jury shouldn't care about, because you know, like then they would be in her mind less likely to find the three defendants guilty. So, what did she amongst her you know comments in that regard? She said she was describing Ahmad, and she said that he had. He was. She was describing his clothes, and then she said he had long, dirty toenails. Now, the whole this whole trial has been uh, confused by or or complicated by uh, racism. Has been tainted by cries of racism from the people who want to see these three defendants. Um, found guilty of murder. And uh, so, for example, there were various high-profile uh, pastors um, and high-profile black um, religious leaders who are known for uh, taking a stance uh, in, in calling things racist. And they, there were at least two of them, two different ones, who sat with the Arbery family, with his mother, uh, during the trial. Now, clearly, and, and one lawyer, a different lawyer, um, complained about that. And as, as I think, you know, I mean, you could argue both ways, but certainly, I mean, the, jur- the judge wouldn't make these uh, religious leaders leave. Um, but the, the uh, attorney for the defendants said that it was too much of a, it was intimidating, which it was, um, it was too, you know, it was meant to intimidate the jury, which it was, and um, and that they shouldn't be allowed in. Because, you know, they are known for, I mean, they've been at, at various protests, and they're very loud when it comes to speaking up for Black Lives Matter, for um, black rights, for, uh, but in a very... I mean, sure, yes, I believe in black rights, I believe in white rights, too, and I believe in police's rights, too. But, um, but these two religious leaders were, are, very, are known for being very, uh, uh, very aggressive. And so, yes, of course it was um, threatening, just their presence was threatening, because what do you think the jury thought when they saw these people sitting there? They thought, when, if we don't find these defendants guilty, then um, there are going to be protests and riots and looting and everything led by these two religious leaders, um, you know, against us. And that whole issue, I mean, we saw it with George Floyd, we saw it with Rittenhouse, although thank goodness that jury um, did not, uh, was brave enough 
to find him not guilty, despite the threats uh, from that jury. We'll talk about him later. But anyhow, so um, going back to Ahmad Arbery, um, so this this Laura Hogue, this uh, this ju- this attorney for for Greg McMichael, uh, left the jury um, on the heels of of her uh, racist closing argument. Uh, the jury went to deliberate. Now, you know, they are, of course, they're going to remember that. They're going to think poorly of her, and, and they're going to believe that, that they're, I mean, this is the whole thing, believing that uh, if you believe that these three men, or at least the two McMichaels, went after Ahmad Aubrey because uh, they were racist, then the jury will more likely find them guilty. But um, but if you don't think that they were racist, then they are more likely to find them not guilty. So after she leaves them with this remark, I mean, the jury will think that she represents the thinking of her clients, and therefore they must be racist, and therefore they must be guilty, which is very uh, unfortunate. I mean, I you know, I have to say that I... Uh, when I first saw that video, as probably when you first saw the video, you thought that these men were horrible and that it was racist and that they were chasing after this black man. Three white men were chasing after this black man as if it were a lynching or to plan a lynching, to, to lynch him, to kill him. And, it, you know, the men uh, the, in the video, the men looked like typical southern um well, not to say anything, not at all. The, the, the stereotype, let's put it that way, the stereotype of um, Southern racists who would do lynchings and who, had, who did do lynchings in the past. They uh, fit the stereotype. Now, what's been interesting, I, I, oh, I, I need to say, I do a column. I just started about uh, uh, six weeks ago or so um, to do a column in the... Um, for an online magazine called um, called uh, um, <laughs> it's, well, the title of the column is called Inside the Criminal Mind, and the title of the website or the name of the of the website is um, uh, Front Page Detectives Detectives Plural dot com. So I do this column inside the criminal mind, and um, I started actually with Brian Laundry. That was who was the first big criminal at the time that I started writing the column, and um, and since then there has been um, these uh, these other people. The um, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, of course, Nicholas Cruz. He came for his uh, came into his court for his court hearing, and now of course there's the um, the uh, Waukesha uh, parade killer, um, and uh, I, per- I undoubtedly will do something on him in the future. So you can find my my um, column every other week in frontpagedetectives.com. So now the reason why I'm mentioning this is because um, I do, every time I do a column on some the, the criminal of the day or criminals. Um, I do a lot of research on them beyond what you see in the, you know, on television or in the newspapers or radio or whatever. And, um, 
And that gives me a different background, you know, tells me more about what's going on, because inside the criminal mind, if you go inside, I mean, this is what I do when I testify as an expert witness. If you go inside the, the criminal's mind, um, you understand him better, and really that is the way to figure out what he had in his mind, you know, whether he had the intent to kill, for example, um, and, you know, if he was racist, for example, uh, whatever it is that the particular case deals with. So I did, um, when it was the time, when the Ahmad Arbery trial began, I did a column on him, and I talked about the three men, the three defendants who are on trial. And when I was doing this research, it, I was much, very much surprised because these men turned out to not fit the stereotype at all. Um, in fact, you know, they, um, they like, well, first of all, the third one, Roddy McMahon, Roddy, um, Rod, wait a second. Willie, well, his name is William Bryan, but his nickname is Roddy. And he's the one who uh, just followed behind the father and son, McMichael. And so, you know, it was really kind of surprising that he was charged with as much uh, the same kinds of crimes that um, the two McMichael, father and son, were. Um, they are charged. They are currently... They, there are 27 charges that the jury has to consider. And uh, it's the same nine charges for each of the three defendants. And these are, these include malice murder, four counts of felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, false imprisonment, and criminal attempt to commit a felony. Now, I'm not going to get into, I mean, you, you get the picture. I'm not going to get into what each one of them are, but, I mean, basically different kinds of murder, <laughs> and then it goes down to aggravated assault. And, you know, the similar, um, uh, the jury has to decide a similar situation uh, as they did for Kyle Rittenhouse in the sense that uh, Travis McMartin, the one who actually shot Amode. Um, he is saying that he shot him in self-defense. And the, the video, um, unfortunately, doesn't show the whole confrontation between the two of them because part of it was behind the truck. Or, and so, so some of it is missing. And really sort of the most, um, the key parts are missing in terms of trying to decide whether uh, Travis McMichael was generally, uh, was, was actually uh, in fear for his life, you know, whether, whether, um, whether Ahmad did grab the gun. I mean, that, you kind of see that, but just, you know, really, I mean, these are such subtle kinds of things to decide uh, who, because Ahmad, the prosecutors uh, said that he was in, in fear of his life. Um, and that that's why he tried to defend, he's, that he tried to defend himself. And, and of course, uh, Travis is saying that he tried to defend himself. So it is very difficult. Um, it is very difficult to decide because really there, there's less in terms of videotape or less uh, as far as the, the crucial part of the videotape than there was for Kyle Rittenhouse. Well, when we come back, I'll continue. I'll tell you about, I'll tell you the backstory of these three defendants 
um, for Ahmad Aubrey. And then we'll go on to the other criminals. So stay tuned. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, and today we're talking about so many crimes, so little time. We're talking about the uh, top crimes of the day, of the month, uh, the ones that have been in the headlines for months. Ahmad Arbery, Kyle Rittenhouse, Brian Laundrie, Nicholas Cruz, and then we're going to be talking about the man who um, drove his car through the Christmas parade in Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin. So I was in the middle of telling you about uh, Ahmad Aubrey and his defendants. Now, um, you know, it's interesting to know that the uh, the, the defendants are Greg Mike, um, well, a sort of a combination. They, they, the, the videotape, they gave the videotape um, to a radio station to play online. They, they made sure, um, they leaked it, so to speak, so that it would go online. And that's how we saw this video of them, these three men, three white men chasing a black man, looking, it looked like a lynching, and so on. And that is the first impression that everybody got. And the question is, is that going to stick with the jury, or were they able to prove um, their innocence? So let's... Um, Let's look at Greg McMichael first. He's the one, that's the father, he's the one who put the chase in motion. Um, it all started when in this, in this Georgian town, really um, sleepy little Georgian town uh, named Satilla Shores, um, they had started to have a string of robberies, and it, particularly involving a house that was under construction. And the house, once they started, the, the owner wasn't living there. He was living somewhere else while it was being built. 
And so um, the owner started to realize that things were missing from the house. It was open. It was wide open because it was under construction. And when he realized that things were missing, he then started installing more more and more um, cameras that would uh, take pictures, uh, presumably motion detectors, that would take pictures when someone came in the house. And that's how they got pictures of Amod Arbery being in the house. And um, there, ha- there were things stolen. Now, they haven't apparently been able to prove that it was Ahmad who stole them or did anything with them or did anything bad, but um, it doesn't really mean that he didn't. It's just that they weren't able to prove that he did. Um, but, but in any case, let's just say, let's, let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he didn't steal anything. Um, but he kept going back to the house. And, um, and and his picture was on, on video. And the neighbors uh, had a Facebook page where they put things, they post, and kept making postings uh, where about things that where, th- people, where things were being stolen. Things were being stolen like uh, out of cars and out of homes, and they would post it on this Facebook page. And so, um, so that's how Greg McMichael and Travis McMichael got involved. They knew about this, and in fact, Travis, um, he uh, had a gun stolen from his truck, so he was one of the people who, you know, who lost something. Now, again, I, it is not proven that uh, Ahmad took that gun. I'm not saying that. Anyhow, um, they, um, you know, the video is interesting because it's like a Rorschach test. If you uh, are for the defendants, then you then you don't see that they did anything wrong to Ahmad. If you're for Ahmad, then you see that they you were lit, essentially, metaphorically, lynching him. In any case, Greg McMichael is 65 years old. He's married to a woman who's a nurse and who took the stand at her at his uh, bond hearing and at the son's bond hearing. And she looked like, and she was uh, sort of this wholesome woman whose whole life has been torn apart. And she was a very good witness. Um, and she talked about, you know, uh, she, she talked about their, their lives. And so it turns out that Greg, um, who was a police officer and, uh, and district attorney investigator, spanned almost 40 years. And in his 40 years of being a police officer and DA investigator, he didn't shoot anyone. Now, um, he did have, over these years, uh, he suffered two heart attacks, a stroke, a total hip replacement, and went into bankruptcy because of medical bills. Now, in 2019... He was suspended for failing to take mandatory training uh, and had his firearm taken away and lost his powers to arrest people as a, you know, in a professional law enforcement capacity. And so he retired a few months later. And clearly he would have been depressed. He would have felt emasculated. He would have felt powerless. You know, literally they took away his gun. That's a phallic symbol. Um, So emasculated. Now, then... Meanwhile, um, in Satilla Shores, his neighbors um, are relying on him because of his years in police work and also relying to some degree on his son, 
Travis because Travis went to uh, was in the Coast Guard for nine years, including law enforcement within the Coast Guard. So they these neighbors counted particularly on this father and son to protect them because of their long history. <clears throat> so uh, getting back to the father, Greg, it making a citizen's arrest of Ahmad would be a way for him to reclaim his manhood. He was expecting when he called 911 um, after they, or while they were in the truck trying to, trying, chasing after um, Ahmad, that he would be considered a hero. And after, after Ahmad was shot, or well, um, he, he wasn't expecting Ahmad to be killed. He was expecting that when he made a citizen's arrest and solved the neighborhood's crime problem, that he would be considered a hero. So, now let's look at the son. Travis McMichael is 34. He is an unmarried unmarried father of a four-year-old son. He was living with his girlfriend, the mother of his son, and they broke up. And then he had to move back to live with his parents. So, needless to say, um, he, you know, wasn't feeling very manly or or proud of himself either. He was very devastated that he had to, um, that now that he and his girlfriend broke up, that he only got to see his son half the time. That was really painful for him. And, um, and so he, after high school, he enlisted in the Coast Guard, and his assignments primarily entailed law enforcement and search and rescue. At the time of this incident, he was working for a private company, and he had gotten federal security clearance. And in his possessions, his mother brought to the uh, court when she testified to try to get him bail, there were countless commendations, good conduct awards, letters of gratitude from families of people he saved or the people themselves, starting out with when he was a camp counselor and a lifeguard at camp when he was a kid, you know, a teenager. Um, He saved a kid from drowning at Camp Courage. And then when he was in uh, in the Coast Guard and after that, he saved families who had been stranded in sinking boats. And so when the father, this on this day, when the father saw Aubrey, um, running down the street, and he and his son both knew what, what uh, Aubrey looked like from the videos, uh, from the, the surveillance videos from the house, um, you know, where, he, where they had caught Aubrey in the house. Um, so they knew, and so as soon as they saw him running down the street from the direction of the house, they assumed that he had been in the house, again, and that perhaps he had stolen something, or in any case, that, um, that he perhaps had stolen something on a previous visit. And so that's why they went after him to make a citizen's arrest, and they figured, again, that this would solve the, their, their neighborhood's problems of, um, of crime. And then the third guy, William Roddy Bryan, 50 years old, he is more of a mystery. Um, you know, he's the one, after he saw, the father called to the son, and they both jumped in a truck, and, and his son brought a, um, a shotgun, I think. Um, and, and then uh, the neighbor, a neighbor, uh, Roddy Bryan, saw them jumping in their truck, and he jumped in his truck, 
and he and he saw he saw Ahmad also running down the street, and he jumped in his truck to follow them, following Ahmad. Uh, he didn't have any. He didn't. I don't know if he had a gun with him. I don't remember, but. He didn't shoot, any, shoot anybody. The father didn't shoot anybody. It was only Travis who shot Ahmad, and he is claiming that this was in self-defense. So um, that's that for them. Now, Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, you know, there has been so much bad stuff said about Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, in the media, they convicted him. You know, with each of these cases, uh, um, the media, even even Brian Laundry. Although I must say, with Brian Laundry, it was kind of easy to convict him in the media before he had, he didn't get to have a trial. But um, but with the uh, defendants for Ahmad and with Kyle Rittenhouse, he they the, all of these people were convicted in the media before they even began their trial. So, um, so it is. It is very unfortunate. I think that the jury in the Kyle Rittenhouse case really deserves to be applauded because they came to this conclusion that he acted in self-defense and therefore he should be acquitted of all charges. Uh, he, they came to this conclusion despite the fact that they had been under threat. They had been under threat. Uh, each day when they came to the courthouse and there were mobs outside the courthouse, some of the people were for Kyle Rittenhouse. They were, you know, on his side, but most of the people were against him. And we know that the judge got death threats. The lawyers got death threats. The uh, defense attorneys, in any case, got death threats. Um, and it is likely that somehow they got to the jurors and, and gave them Death th- sent them death threats as well. Um, it's not that easy to to uh, to hide these days. In any case, um, the jury first, first of all should have been sequestered. Just this all started well recently. It all started in recent times. It all started this um, this intimidation started with the George Floyd case and. Um, that is where, of course, there were mobs and mobs and mobs. I mean, you know, there had been riots uh, before and after the trial, um, and mostly before. It was a long time before the trial, and so there had many, there were many months to riot. And certainly these people, the, the rioters, were in front of the courthouse, and the jury was not sequestered, and um, it, it, they were totally intimidated. Because, um, because that, you know, that town, um, the location of the, of the George Floyd trial, um, people came there even more in force than the smaller town of where Kyle was being charged in Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, but in any case, <laughs> it, it was just, it, it, I had hoped that the justice system would learn from that case where the jurors were intimidated and did come to a, a conclusion, a verdict of guilty for um, Derek Chauvin. Uh, you know, how much of that was because they were scared, was because they had been intimidated into believing that 
Um, and how many death threats were there in that case to the judge and to the jury and to the uh, defense attorney? Um, we can't make decisions based upon intimidation. This, this, is, that, this is ruining our, our judicial system. Uh, I mean, there's hope, actually. We saw in Kenosha there is hope. A, a jury can come to, um, you know, does, is, doesn't necessarily have to get intimidated completely. Well, I'll tell you, talk more about the, the Kyle Rittenhouse case when we come back. But, um, but it was really unfortunate, going back to Ahmad Aubrey, it was really unfortunate that uh, they weren't sequestered. They should have been sequestered, and as well as the George Floyd jury they should have been sequestered. I mean, when it's a high-profile case and there are politics involved, and sure, the judge says, we don't want politics to be involved. We don't want you to just, you know, in the courtroom, the judge will say that to the jury and, uh, and of course, to, you know, the television. Um, we don't want this case to be decided by politics. We want, you know, you to, to really... Um, have a clear, have an open mind and to decide uh, the verdict based upon what you hear as evidence in court. But the more time there is before the trial and the more media that jumps on the bandwagon, uh, the less, uh, the harder it is for the uh, jury to decide um, based upon just a, an open mind and only the evidence that was presented in court. So this really has to be, um, this really has to be looked at and really more, I mean, you know, of course it costs more money to, um, to sequester a jury. It costs the city more money and just, you know, feel bad about inconveniencing the jurors because it's hard to know how long a case will go on, especially uh, especially if there are a lot of charges, and especially if it's you know very contentious. And I mean, it's always contentious to some degree. There's uh, a side for and against, but but you know, if it if it looks like it might well go on uh, longer than what they think at the beginning, or even you know even just the beginning, um, what they estimate. Still, they, there's a Judges sometimes feel bad about uh, making the jurors, or it'll, it cuts down on the possibility of the jurors who are able to, to be on the jury um, if they know that they have to be uh, sequestered and they're not going to be able to take care of their family or go to their job for a long time. Well, when we come back, we will talk about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. We'll talk about the um, Waukesha uh, Wisconsin tragedy, unbelievable tragedy, and um, and more. So stay tuned. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. 
get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today about so many crimes, so little time. We've talked about the Arbery case. We talked about Brian Laundrie and his uh, the findings and on his autopsy, and his um, they had an anthropologist look at his bones. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did the anthropologist compare them to uh, to um, I don't know some kind of animal bones? Um, I, as I said at the beginning, I am very cynical about believing that I don't believe that necessarily. I'm not. I'm not swallowing it um, that those bones were necessarily Brian Laundrie's. He could be in China by now. In any case, um, now let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, there is poor Kyle Rittenhouse. Yes, I know. I as a, when I testify in court. Uh, as an expert witness, I do more often testify for the um, defense in, in criminal cases than the prosecution because, but I, I do sometimes testify for the prosecution as well, but typically more often for the defense because um, when I analyze the person's psyche who's on trial and I analyze their childhood, it, I, it turns out that what I have to say, you know, I go through really from the time they were born. And um, by the time I'm finished, you know, going through their whole life story, it makes the jury feel more, um, more, uh, compa- more, more willing to uh, perhaps be uh, empathic with the, the person, um, compassionate to the person, uh, seeing that, you know, he's not just a, a bad guy, um, but there were reasons for why he was where he was and why the crime happened the way it did and so on. So that's why it turns out that I'm usually more helpful to the defense than the prosecution. But anyhow, because the prosecution doesn't want the jury feeling sympathetic towards the defendant, all right, so let's talk about Kyle Rittenhouse. Again, this is one of my columns in frontpagedetectives.com. And, um, and you have not um, heard, I guarantee that you have not heard the whole story that I'm going to give you now in any medium, on television, on radio, uh, in print. Um, you will not have heard what I'm going to tell you. Okay, so now... Um, we, well, first of all, uh, as you probably know, Kyle Rittenhouse was acqui- acquitted of all charges. And um, uh, he, you know, he was charged with uh, the murder of two people. 
and um, he injured somebody else. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, in, Ken- in Kenosha, Wisconsin, well, let me start back a little bit. There was this, once upon a time, there was this riot. In I wish it was just a fairy tale. It's unfortunately the whole thing is a tragedy. Um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, there was a riot, uh, and it was about the police shooting of Jacob Blake. Now Jacob Blake was a black man who resisted arrest, and he was shot by a policeman, and um, he is now uh, paralyzed from that. Now. You know, what uh, What the media, of course, what you probably, what you may have heard about that is that Jacob Blake was killed. There are so many wrong, you know, mistakes, purposeful mistakes. Sometimes they're, they're innocent mistakes. They just heard somebody else make the same mistake. But sometimes they're purposeful. So, for example, a lot of media talked about Jacob Blake being killed when he's really alive and paralyzed, unfortunately paralyzed, but um, when he resisted arrest, he was armed. He had a knife. The police shot him because he had a knife going towards them, and then he, Jacob Blake went towards his car, went into his car. And so the police were afraid that he was going to pull out a gun from his car since he already had a knife. Anyhow, that's what the riots were about by Black Lives Matter. And, um, and a man, a young man, 17 years old at the time, Kyle Rittenhouse, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin, with the idea, the fantasy of being a hero. This was on August 25th, 2020. But his fantasy went terribly wrong. He went around the streets, patrolling the streets, with a barely used rifle and a cobbled together medical kit because he was trying to help people who, and he did help some people who had injuries, um, but he soon found himself in over his head, and he um, people att- started charging him just because, you know, people were um, people were were just you know were rioting, were were angry, and were um, were violent, and because they were angry, they were expressing their anger in a violent way, and. Um, he was, so at trial, so when he was there, when he was going around Kenosha, he was trying to protect a car, um, a car dealership. He was trying to help people, you know, fix their injuries and so on. Um, and there were people who uh, came towards him and um, tried to, and he walked, oh, he did have a, a gun, a shotgun with him. And, of course, the, the rumors were that he came across state lines because he actually lived 20 miles away. Um, and he came across state lines, but he didn't bring the gun across state lines. The gun was at a friend's stepfather's house in a safe, but then the stepfather took it out of the safe because the stepfather was scared um, because of all these riots in Kenosha. This was all in, in Kenosha. And... Um, and so he did have a, um, Kyle did have a gun. He was carrying a gun and a, a first aid kit, as I said. And um, the question of the trial, he did end up killing two people who, who were attacking him and um, injuring a third. Now, these, these, so the question for this case was, was it self-defense? And Kyle 
um, you know, of course, the, the defense was that it was self-defense. And the videos that there were, except for the ones that were, um, <laughs> that were manipulated by the prosecution, did show uh, that it was self-defense. It shows these men coming at him. I mean, it's much clearer than the one in, ones in the Ahmad Arbery case. These, the Kyle Rittenhouse videos uh, were much clearer. Of course, if the, if the jury didn't get uh, bored to tears um, watching them over and over again, they could see that. So, um, so Kyle was... was uh, defamed, really, before the trial as a white supremacist. Even President Biden, of all people, called him a white supremacist. And what's interesting is that Biden called him that before Biden was president. It was during the uh, campaign. And so Kyle and his lawyers are suing Biden, and it is felt by legal experts that, uh, in fact, they do have a case because... um, because he wasn't president at the time that uh, that he said this, that he this these defamatory remarks. Um, you know, Biden was using this, and it was malicious intent because Biden was using this to um, get people to vote for him. He was trying to say that that Trump was a white supremacist, or and at least Trump. Um, um, favored, you know, white supremacists. And here we go. Uh, here's Kyle, you know, being a Trumper, and he's a white supremacist. So in any case, Biden is not going to get away with this, hopefully, so easily, or at all, hopefully, uh, with what he did. So, so now, on the other side, to be fair, before the trial, um, there were a lot of people, and I, I think this was the right way of, of seeing him, as a patriotic do-gooder. Now, when I tell you something about his childhood, you'll agree with me. Kyle was born in uh, 2003 to Wendy and Michael Rittenhouse, and he was raised in Illinois, and his parents intermittently worked lower-end jobs. Uh, His father struggled with alcohol and drugs and and sometimes didn't work any jobs because he uh, he was dealing with his alcohol and drugs. And when when Kyle was four years old, his father was charged with domestic battery for allegedly punching his mother in the stomach. And these charges were dismissed eventually, but at least twice, Kyle and his mother and his two sisters had to hide in a shelter. Then his parents divorced, and Kyle and his mother, you know, a single mother and his two sisters um, live, grew up in living together, and because his mother eventually became a certified nursing assistant, but her earnings and the father's meager uh, earnings were not enough to support them, and they kept being evicted from one place to another. Um, Kyle joined the police department's Explorers program, and in this program, you wear uniforms and train with harmless replicas of weapons. You go on police ride-alongs and help with tasks like managing parade traffic. And he was taught that explorers must be ready to help in any emergency, including accidents and injuries. So, you know, that's why he had his first aid kit. Like, you know, they clearly taught him some basic first aid. And he also participated in a similar cadet program through the fire department. So anyhow, his family had all kinds of problems, and then uh, after another uh, eviction, 
His mother filed for bankruptcy, and she was overwhelmed, and she developed a gastrointestinal bleed, and she was hospitalized, and then his sister was hospitalized with an attempted overdose. And uh, so the bottom line to all of this was that um, he, uh, you know, throughout his childhood, there was nobody to protect him. His father was a domestic <laughs> violence perpetrator, um, and and his mother, if they couldn't afford to protect that, you know, to to have a head roof over their head, and and they got sick and so on. So that's why Kyle went to uh, became a cadet, became you know, started learning um, from the police department and the fire department and wanted to be a policeman and a fire or and or a firefighter when he grew up and or an EMT and now and or, and or a nurse because he wanted to protect his family. He wanted to be, he, there was nobody to protect them. The father was, the father lived in Kenosha actually while they still lived in Illinois and, um, and was not a protector. Was, in fact, was, was violent. Um, a violent drug abuser and alcohol abuser. So Kyle, that is why Kyle took on the reins and became a protector himself. And when the riots happened in Kenosha, he wanted to extend his protection to go beyond his family and to now protect the people in Kenosha. And um, he worked, he tried to protect his family financially by working a job to try to help them, you know, a cook and a, and a, a janitor, and, and then he became a certified lifeguard. That was another thing, to protect people. I mean, there's kind of, you see the, um, there are uh, similarities between these, um, the Ahmad Aubrey uh, defendants, well, similarity in terms of they were, uh, police and and uh, and Coast Guard and Kyle was a you know trained as a cadet and so on and they all wanted to protect people and and um, but now but the difference is that well the difference is that certainly it's it's all has already been decided and I certainly agree with the uh, jury's verdict that Kyle was whatever he did was in self defense now I'm sure you've seen the pictures of Kyle. Uh, uh, videos or, or photos of Kyle in Kenosha that night. Um, behind him is a background of fire and looting and chaos and destruction. And he is walking there like a little toy soldier, you know, marching like a toy soldier with, um, <laughs> with his chubby cheeks and looking like a little kid, like there might have been some people um, in in, in Kenosha thinking, who is this little kid? We should call his mommy and get her to take him home before he gets hurt. So, um, well, that's, unfortunately, we've come to the end before I got to uh, Waukesha, but there is, there are future shows, <laughs> and I will, uh, and I will uh, undoubtedly talk to you about that at some point in the future. So stay safe this holiday season. Um, you know, the tragedy of with Waukesha, the idea that people were watching a Christmas parade um, and this horrible man, a uh, horrible angry, another angry man, um, you know, came, drove his car through the parade and killed at least five people and injured more. I mean, there might well be people who are injured who, who might still die, unfortunately. Um, and he... Um, his name is Daryl Brooks, Jr., 
and he is a, he has a huge rap sheet. He's a rapper, <laughs> a rap sheet and a rapper, and all his rap songs, you know, I, there are videos of his rap songs, and he's super, super angry at society and took it out on these poor people who were trying to begin the holidays with an annual celebration of their Christmas parade. So I say again, stay safe. Be grateful at Thanksgiving for everything that you have, the people, your family, your friends, your loved ones. Um, and it's not about shopping on Thanksgiving or Good or Black Friday. Uh, it's about, you know, being with family and, and, uh, and being grateful, spending time by yourself being grateful. Thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 